everyone, coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland, I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit Pop Bang. Alright, we're going to get started with the Lit portion of our very first episode. Today we have two Ooh. amazing guests with us. Uh, we'll start with Hannah Sawyer. Why don't you introduce Hannah Sawyer? Hannah Sawyer is a Sierra Leonean American poet and a senior in English at Morgan State University. She is the 2016 Baltimore Youth Poet Laureate, and she's actually the first woman Youth Poet Laureate of Baltimore. And she is the brand new author of For Girls Growing Into Their Hips, which is just come out in November, and it is available now from Penmanship Books. And joining Hannah today uh, is Mohammed Tal. Mohammed Tal is Baltimore City's current Youth Poet Laureate. Uh, he's a former Baltimore City Poet Ambassador and the two-time Muslim Interscholastic Tournament Spoken Word Champion. In 2015, he was a member of Baltimore's youth poetry team that competed at Brave New Voices. He's also a political science major with a minor in African American Studies at Morgan State University. Tall believes that art is at the forefront of the revolution. Thank you both for joining us today. Yeah, we're so happy to have you guys. I'm happy to be here. Yay! Okay. A first right. guest. And both Morgan. Morgan yeah, State both University. Morgan. A lot of Morgan in the house. A lot podcast. of Morgan in the house. Great. Yes. Great. We have some questions for you, but before we get started, why don't you start out, just a brief, we have your official bios, but tell us about yourself. Who are you? What do you want guests to know about you and your poetry? Um, well, my name is Hannah Sawyer, but um, I think for me what's most important in my poetry is authenticity. Mm. So I always strive to be as transparent as possible. And I think sometimes that makes art really painful, but mm. that's that's what I want to do, and that's what I want to be. I want to be as transparent as I could possibly be. That's great. And Mo? This Muslim ain't no apologist. So don't seek me for an apology. I'm on the west side of Baltimore, parlaying with apologies. We all writers. With arthritis that offs writers. Leave them stuck in comatose. Your pens ain't coming close to the parchment. My department departs the men. My words made me Midas. The pen might just make me king. If anything describes my poetry, I think it's that. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Opening. I would, woo. Great. Opening Great. with a poem. So we're going to have guests on, and we, you know, a lot of podcasts, they want you to read your poetry. We want to hear more about you and your poetry. We're not going to ask you to read, but we want to hear about it, your processes, your visions, your beliefs. And that was a great way to start us out. Um, you want to start with questions? Or you like sure, I have I have one actually, a uh, interesting one. So, Muhammad, I saw um, I've been checking you guys out on the internet, right? So I know you guys one on one, but also I stalk you a little bit on the internet. I think that's okay. Um, I saw your poem um, called "Do the Right Thing." Yeah. Right. So I like that poem. Um, first of all, I'm interested in your connection with Spike Lee, but also I wanted to say you shouted out Bedford Stuyvesant. Are you from New York or have you lived in New York before? That's my first part of the question. Um, nah, that was more so for like the historical context. Okay, yeah. great, right, yeah. especially for the movie, right? Yeah. And I wanted to say, especially because Spike has um, come back in the media again since we're now seeing She's Gotta Have It back on Netflix, but uh, particularly that there was a line in the poem where you talked about um, Sal having brothers on the wall. So I just wanted to say, what was your connection to Spike and why did you call the poem, why did you title the poem Do the Right Thing? And, and maybe if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, for that piece, I was a senior in high school. Oh. Um, Okay. Yeah, so a few weeks before my senior year, Michael Brown got killed right. um, August 9th. Right. And my birthday was August 13th. Okay. Really uh, so for those yeah. four days, I was like terrified that I wouldn't make it to see my 17th birthday. Mm. Um, and as a result of that, I couldn't write poems for like three months straight. Mm. 
and I was taking, I was doing dual enrollment at the community college as well. And my English professor had us watch Do the Right Thing in class. And then we watched um, Spike's breakdown of the movie and what inspired him. And he spoke about what happened in Howard Beach a few years prior. Yeah. Um, and I realized that everything that was happening right now was not new. Like this is, right. these are things that have been constantly happening. So I went to, so like the piece kind of just made sense if I like went from Howard Beach to do the right thing, to start to talk about Amadou Diallo, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, to bring it to more of a current context. Yeah. Um, and and it kind of helped me process. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you. But also the art feeds, I mean, life feeds art, right? Things okay. that are happening in the world, even though you had a, you, you say you took a hiatus for three months and yeah. you didn't write poems, but um, it's important, important to take time for things that are going on in the world too. So I think, you know, um, life feeds art. I think all of us feel that way, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that connection between you know, like published popular media, TV, myth, and film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what we see going on in the news mm-hmm. and our personal identities and our personal experiences and that triangle there and that creating right. art and poetry and literature, that's right. Yeah. And hey, props to English, high school English teachers showing oh, right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. class. That's <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. Right, my high, my high school teachers didn't do that. It was actually at the community college. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay, cool. Great. okay, cool. All right. Great. All right. Cool. I also want to ask you, um, you're both fairly young poets, um, sort of part of the, the whole I- idea of the Youth Poet Laureate. So I was going to ask you both, how were you first, how were you first introduced to poetry? What was the first poem you wrote or read? When, when did you get the concept of poetry and maybe even yourself as a poet as well? Okay, so, um, well, I've always written in journals, like ever since I was really little, but I remember in the eighth grade, I moved to um, North Brunswick, New Jersey. And I hated it. Shout out to Jersey. <laughs> I hated it so much. And um, we had this poetry unit, and that was the only thing I loved mm. about being in a new school, being in a new place. Mm. And I remember the first spoken word poem I did was about how much I hated church. And I performed <laughs> it. <laughs> I performed it at my church. Oh, no. And everyone loved it so much. They thought it was, like, so great. I don't know if they weren't listening. Oh, I like your church. Where do you go to church, girl? I think they just weren't listening. I think maybe they were just happy I wasn't on the street. Even better. I don't know. But they all loved it. And ever since then, I've just been writing. I stuck to it. And what age was that, the church? Point? That was 12. That's mm. great. It's great mm-hmm. to hear that, like, that reinforcement. Establishing someone, hey, I can be a poet. Like people, yeah. I'm doing something good. People want this, and also the good feedback from your church members saying, right. like, "Go ahead, do that thing." That's yeah. exciting. I still, oh God, I still remember parts of it. It was like your heart's in the wrong place, and it was <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> I am so glad that I don't have access to any poetry I wrote in like middle school. Uh-huh. Right? Mine was not. None of mine was worthwhile. Mine so, was horrible too. I don't want very to bad. Yeah, very bad. Lots of dead birds and crying tears. I don't know. <laughs> That's the Midwest. Yeah, it, right, it is. It is. It is. Call me out. Mohammed? Um, for me, I always wanted to be a rapper. So, like, from oh. five years old, I always knew all the songs to every rap song. I always knew all the lyrics to every rap song. Um, so, it was, like, constantly, like, trying to chase that dream yeah. and, like, seeing myself in that light. And it was, like, around my eighth grade graduation, um, my teacher asked me to write a poem for the graduation. And I remember, like, like it just felt so natural, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Hmm. And when I went to high school, some of the teachers were like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have what it takes to really do spoken word. Um, and when I left that school and went to a new school, I did theater arts. And the theater arts teacher asked us to share a poem or uh, a rap song or something, that, or a story, anything. We just had to come and present something. 
And I went in my email, found this old poem, and I presented it for the class. And everybody's like, yo, Shorty, that was hot. That was hot. I'm like, for real? So she goes and tells my mentor. Well, he was my mentor at the time, but it was a guy named Jacob at the school. Everybody knew Jacob because he could rap. So she tells Jacob, he tells me, come after school um, on Thursday. I want, I want you to come to my poetry club and just share the poem. So I come on Thursday, I share the poem. Nobody's really paying attention when I walked in. Like, oh, this Muhammad, he's new. Everybody's like, whatever. I perform the poem, everybody's like, yo, you hot, <laughs> You just got here, you came here. Um, so like from there, he was like, oh, you're on the, ba congratulations, you're on the Baltimore City Poetry Team. So I never thought I even had what it took to mm -hmm. be on the team. So when he said that, it was like, wow. And then like from there, everything just kind of opened up. Theater arts is interesting too. A lot of poets have a theater arts background. You're not the only one that mm -hmm. has that has dabbled in the theater. And I can tell from your performances that you have that stage presence that you've learned, taken some things from the theater <laughs> yeah, arts world absolutely. in a good way, in a I've, good way. I've seen Muhammad stare down judges at competitions. Which is a particular <laughs> favorite move of mine. Ooh, <laughs> that's always scary for us judges. I, I've always felt like people might want to jump me out in the parking lot, but, <laughs> but we hope not. <laughs> Uh, cool. Um, I'm sure you've come across this at some point, either as representatives of Baltimore for poetry um, or just as people who read and study poetry. What would you tell someone who's convinced that they don't like poetry? Or students, even, um, maybe. Yeah, whether yeah. it's well, yeah, a peer or student or right. an adult in your life, whichever, yeah. Yeah, plenty of students are afraid of poetry. What do you, what would you... Honestly... I feel like if you're young and you don't like poetry, you probably don't like feeling things. So that's pro no, I'm serious. That's probably the issue. Mm. That or they're just into like whack poetry because like they teach like really whack poetry in schools. Like this is a group. They point. don't teach. Yeah, like they don't teach like poetry that people that are young want to listen to or you know poetry that people want to be able to write. So I don't know. Maybe you just don't like feeling, or maybe you're just being taught the wrong poetry. Yeah, I like both yeah. of those. I think being taught the wrong poetry is often what students are afraid of. They've mm -hmm. read a lot of things they don't connect with. Absolutely. My, I think Maya Angelou saved my life. Letter to my daughter. Um, it's not a poetry collection, but I, my senior year of high school, that collection saved my life. It's a collection yeah. of uh, memoirs, mm -hmm. and they're not, they didn't teach me that in high school. I had to right. go to my library and find it. Yeah. Right. So. Right, if all you're getting in high school is is Frost and Shakespeare. Which I like Frost and I like Shakespeare. Right, but, yeah, me too. I mean, but, despite but, episode zero, I, even I, though you talk trash about I Frost. I did talk trash. I do like Frost generally, though. You did talk trash um, about Frost. But if that's Frost, all you're getting really at that. 16, 17, right. um, then, then it's, it's easy to fall into, like, yeah. what is this? What's in this for me to like? Right. Yeah. What do you think, Muhammad? Um, for me, I would tell them, first and foremost, you don't have to like it. Yeah. Um, mm. You don't, because... You just don't. You have that right. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think the problem really stems from them not seeing themselves in the poets. So mm -hmm. it's like the people that are being presented to them don't look like them, don't share their same experiences, mm -hmm. and they don't tell their story. Mm -hmm. So why would I even... It, nothing is there to attract them to it. So I feel like, for me, it's kind of been embracing who it is I am, like all throughout, whether it be the performance um, or the way I'm dressed or the way I'm speaking to the crowd is always going to be that quote-unquote urban hip-hop, you know what I'm saying, street culture because like that's what I grew up in and when young people see this they and they see you doing something that other people their ages aren't doing, it, it, it gives them a type of hope because it's like, oh, he looked like me and he's doing something different. Right. So it kind of like, and it intrigues them. 
and right. it makes them go and look for themselves like oh maybe i could do this also yeah also i think like invalidating art and not liking a certain type of art are very very different things yeah. so i think maybe like if a young person doesn't like the art like muhammad said maybe like i feel like that's okay i think the problem comes like when you invalidate mm. a certain sort of art or mm -hmm. you know someone's feelings or something like that and i think that's a good segue to talk about um you all as sort of spoken word artists if, if the, i don't know if that's the label you take on for yourself what label you guys like to call yourselves but you know there's a big divide between stage and page poetry so I there's a, so so what hannah's sort of saying about them invalidating the art is a really important thing so how have you guys dealt with maybe people who think that page poetry is one thing stage poetry is another i don't think they're separate but i know there are lots of people out there who may so how have you guys dealt with that issue and what do you um you know how do you deal with that how do you respond to people I think for me, what I've seen is like, I have a real rhythmic um, tone in my poetry. So it kind of attracts people already. Mm. Um, so when they see that, it's and it's different. It's like, I, I like to call it like a mix between like battle rap and spoken word in a way. Like the way mm. I set up um, my pieces. Um, and, and it intrigues people because it's not like everything else they've heard. Right. Um, so when they come up to me, it's like, oh yeah, I don't even like poetry. Um, everybody whack, but I, I, I bang with what you doing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, at that point, I'm like, do I take the compliment and like this, everybody else is doing it. But at the same time, it's valid because there's like a big cookie cutter, you know what I'm saying, phenomenon going on in like the art world where people just see this one specific style. I think it's slowing off forever, but people will see one specific style. Everybody tries to mimic that. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And nobody else tries to go and find a new voice, a new sound. And the only people we really see like breakthrough to those next barriers of the people that created their own songs. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Not everyone should read uh, like Mir Baraka or right. Andrew Gibson. Right? Yeah. They need to find their voice yeah. and their sound. And a, uh -huh. Oh, but I was going to say, it sounds like you haven't had much negative response. You've had a lot of positive responses, what you're saying. You're saying you don't see any separation really between the page, stage uh, uh, worlds, or you've never experienced? For, for me, it's more so like, People look down more so on um, poets that rhyme. Oh, um, yeah. Writing. Oh, okay. Um, so okay. it's kind of, but the type of attitude that I have, you're not going to tell me. Like, it, it's just not going to fit me. You're Teflon. Yeah. Well, I'm Teflon. He's it's just, just like, kind of like, I, no, I, I just know who I am and I know where I'm at yeah. in my art. And yeah, I'm comfortable sure. with that. So. Yeah. I think when like, people look down on people that rhyme, I think it's more of like, this is a cat. It's in their hat. And you're not like that. Yeah, people, look, people looking down on bad rhyme. Yeah, I yeah. Or bad spoken like, word, maybe. Almost like unrhythmic rhyme, if that mm. makes sense. But for me, I actually think there is a huge difference between the page and the stage. Um, and I think I learned that when I published. Because like, there were a lot of pieces that like I had to change for the page just to get like what I wanted to say across. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's mostly it, like technical things. And mm -hmm. there are some lines, and <laughs> there's this one line in the poem that I had to take out because it just didn't make sense on a page. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like it had to be performed. And I didn't mm -hmm. want to say, um, um, I didn't want to kiss a goodbye. Um, you know the line, I'm, now I'm about to catch a body. Mm -hmm. I couldn't put that on the page because it just didn't look right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there are a lot of things that I had to edit and take out that just didn't look right on the page or they weren't communicated the way I wanted them to be communicated on page. Yeah. So that's the, most, that's the, the biggest, biggest difference. difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you can always perform it however you want. Oh, I you, do. You, right. You I can, do. You can get live and loose once you, you know, on the page, it can be whatever, but you you can embody it whatever way you want to once you perform it, you mm -hmm. know? So I think that's sort of a, a big difference, too. So it's interesting here. You had some, I don't know, difficulties maybe um, when you were editing and going through the process. It is, yeah. it is different when you're publishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because we're sort of in a golden era. Of poetry where people are starting to take poets, well, the academy poets and academy gatekeepers are starting to take seriously poets who have this spoken word performance poetry background. Right. So we see people like and they're uh, hiring. Patricia Smith, Donna Smith. Yeah, and they're hiring. They're yeah. hiring spoken right. word, if we want to call them that, I don't know, you know, yeah. whatever the title is, into yeah. into the academy. Yeah. They're, they're hiring them. them, they're publishing yeah, them. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a really it's amazing thing. Right. People are starting to get that these aren't these aren't two arts; these are two maybe subgenres of the same art. Right, I agree. So, Hannah, since you and I are the ladies in the room here at Lip Hop Bang, I wanted to ask you about being the first female Baltimore Youth Poet Laureate. How has it been for you? What's your experience, and also what do you hope to give young women out there who are watching you? Um. Okay. So. I actually never even called myself the first woman youth poet laureate. But you are. I know, but it's, <laughs> it the first matter. time I saw it, it, it was someone else calling me that. It was in print somewhere, and you're like, oh, yeah. I guess that's I was true. like, yeah, that's, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, don't, I feel like everything I write has something to do with being a black woman. Like, I've, I've never, yeah. yeah I being mean, a first generation. Right. Yeah. And even um, the the I think you're referring to the poem that I wrote about my father. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. at that, like at the end of the poem, I talk about being a Sierra Leonean woman. Yeah. And so it always just goes back to that for me. I don't know how to write and not talk about womanhood and being a black woman. Um, I don't know. I I feel like that's the only way I know how to write is talking about my experiences, and a lot of my experiences have to do with womanhood and you know, being a black woman. And so that's what I do. <laughs> it's the only thing I know how to do, so. So you don't feel, do you, do you feel any responsibility to what young women who are watching you? What if you want to talk about like, giving somebody, flipping somebody the bird on the highway mm -hmm. there, would you Would you do that? I, I mean, probably would. <laughs> <laughs> that goes along with being female, right? No, I mean, honestly. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like there are, and I've learned that there's so many like, small experiences that I wouldn't have even noticed if I didn't take the time to write about womanhood and allow myself to write about these small little things. Um, I don't even know like what I can and can't say. But there's one oh, line... I love that. That's a, great, that's a great quote. I don't even know what I can and can't say. That should be a flag. I was, yeah, I was so nervous, like, even, like, with the book, because there's one line, and I was like, it's about love, and, like, it has four characters talking about love. Um, four women and one of the women one of the women goes uh, love is masturbation and I didn't even know if that was like acceptable to say and I was so nervous to put it but it's like that's an experience yes yeah. so and it's an experience that a lot of women like we feel like we can't talk about and write about right yeah. I so, agree. taboos that's important yeah, yeah. yeah. breaking I, yeah mm -hmm. I think as far as responsibility because that was your original question it I was drift a little bit but okay. um I feel like my only responsibility is to be honest. Yes. That's it. Yes. Yeah. I like That's that. Good. Yeah. And you're not trying to, you're not building this poetry just to present anything. You're just writing what you know. And that mm -hmm. what you know is this intersectional identity that is about being black and a woman. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I heard Lena Waithe say, um, 
from Master of None. She said the only thing she feels uh, responsibility to be is 100% authentically herself. So mm. I think yeah. you're saying sort of the same thing. You're in the line with uh, with greatness. I there. love that. And yeah, it's Lee so, is great. Oh, God. I, I really do. And it's so funny because, like, even as writers, like, people always, like, say that we have, like, a certain sort of, like, responsibility or, like, we owe something to Or as black people. Or as, yeah. Right, yeah. Great people. Yeah, anything. Right. Right. I think the only, like, responsibility we have is to be... Um, I want to say responsible with our art <laughs> um, and just, you know, like be mindful of like what you put in the world and like the level of like, I guess like trauma you put in the world mm -hmm. and like you have a responsibility to heal. But other than that, I don't really know like in terms of responsibility, like what that is for me as a writer. I like it. I like that you don't know what that is. That's fantastic. That's poetry, right? Not that, having a firm answer. Exactly. I, I think so, too. Yeah, being open-ended about it and not feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders about anything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're the first female Baltimore youth poet laureate, and you can decide what you, what you want, who you want to be in the world and right. what kind of poetry you want to produce. So I think that's fantastic. Thank you. All right, so this next segment, this will be the pop segment of the podcast. This is where we talk about pop culture. Politics, what's going, yeah. sometimes, a little everything, hodgepodge. Whatever's going on. In the world. Whatever's going on in the world, in the U.S., in our lives. That you're paying attention to, and we're paying attention to it, too. Exactly. So we may be listening to this at different times, but as of today, the third, fourth week in December. December, um, yeah. We're talking about how the CDC uh, recently reported to the Washington Post that there are certain banned words. There are words that they don't want to see in their uh, budget proposals to Congress. Ridiculous. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous, but very reflective of this current administration. Absolutely. Yeah. So the administration or the CDC, it's sort of unclear at some point, but they recently released uh, this report to the policy people at the Center for Disease Control that says, in your reports to Congress, in your budget proposals, we don't want to hear certain words. Okay. They're words that the administration doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to approve. Maybe it's this Congress, but basically uh, words that are banned, in, right. in, in, in effect, banned right. from CDC. Um, those terms are fetus, transgender, vulnerable, entitlement, diversity, evidence-based, and science-based. All things that we're fans of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, how are, you how are you saying that? You don't know the way. No, of course, we are, we are all in. Except for entitlement. I think entitlement is kind of BS. I like the... It's a tough word, right? Uh, it's, it uses this like negative pejorative word. But I, entitlement is a good thing that we take care of certain people. That certain people aren't entitled, entitled to, something? to certain protection. What do you mean? Like senior citizens? Like yeah. getting, like, you know, AARP? What do you mean? Is that entitlement? Are I mean, entitled to more benefits yeah. because they're older? Yeah, all no. the people, all the people who are vulnerable among us. Yeah. Uh, who can I rely on certain understand. protections, whether it's yeah. elderly, elderly, uh, impoverished, yeah. people with disabilities. disabilities. Yeah. Right. Um, all those people, they, they should... Entitlement shouldn't be a bad word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're right. I, I think of entitlement as a negative 
you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the way, too. Yeah. That's the way people want like, us to think yeah. of it. Yeah. Like white male entitlement. You yeah. Know what I mean, that's what, as a black woman, I, that's always what I think. White male, black woman, black woman. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. the opposite, the antithesis. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. An interesting update on this. So this broke a couple days ago from when we are recording this, but uh, recently the CDC director said there are no banned words here. We're not banning any words. Right. We're not, nothing's banned, but people inside the CDC told the Washington Post and later PBS that um, th these words are what are recommended not to use to ensure that this uh, executive administration and this Congress will pass a budget for the CDC, will approve actions on behalf of the CDC. Yeah. With their, they're self-censoring. They're not banned. Right. They're, they're just self-censoring self to right. ensure that they can get... It's not like banned books. Yeah. It's not a To Kill the Mockingbird. Could you imagine not fully funding the Center for Disease Control in the United States? What sort of nightmare would that be? I can. I can imagine all kinds of budget cuts. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That would affect so many things in a trickle down. Oh, did I say that word? Oh, trickle, trickle down. Trickle down effect. Oh, bad, bad. Erase that. See, even my language is starting to become yeah. affected by this. That's how administration. Yeah, they That's, they bleed into your nightmares. They do. They do. It's like I don't know. It's, but anyway. Yeah, the CDC covers so much in the U.S. They do disease response. They do research yeah. for, for treatments and cures. Yeah. Um, they're the, the leading governmental agency on HIV prevention yeah. and response. Mm -hmm. um, they are the front line between us and um, and catastrophe, really. Yeah, and good health and, 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 and not just good health, but also health preventative uh, care thing, all these sorts of things. So it's problematic that we've got these words out here that they're sort of suggesting that they have to wash themselves, suggesting. otherwise they won't be funded. Right. That's a nightmare. I mean, God. you know, just talking about it is scary. It's all scary. the way around. It's a, the whole idea of ban words is interesting too, though. Um, I think uh, a lot of yeah, people. So. Uh, well, I think a lot of people on Twitter, on social media generally, have talked about ban words and this idea of ban words or. Or not being able to use certain words because people will hate them is very Orwellian. Yeah, it is. I yeah. agree. So for those well, trigger words are different than sort of like ban. You know what I'm, I mean? Yeah, I I totally get avoiding certain words that are triggering. Yes, or, or, I agree or so giving too. content warnings. For As a teacher, words you that... always have to be sensitive to that. So I think yeah. that's important. Thinking well, about language in that way, but not I, this way. Yeah, I think we're on the same page in that we both really consider triggers in content warning in our class. But yeah. I think there are many teachers who disagree, unfortunately. Yeah, you're probably so, yeah. right. So yeah. Maybe not all teachers, but yeah, teachers right. who give a shit But teachers about, who give a shit yeah, should care, about, right? Yeah. Teachers about who give the, a shit about, about... the mental health of their students yeah. should consider things exactly. that are sensitive to their students and yeah. be watchful and wearful of that. But that's different, right? right. That's that's watching what you say or giving warnings about you, what you're saying. Right. Um, for the sake of people who have experienced certain trauma, right? right? But to say you can't say words because those in power won't give you what you need, right? That's Orwellian. Yeah. In, I mean, the in most every aspect obvious of the sense. Yeah. So my real question about this list, right? I mean, all these words are problematic to me. But what's up with the fetus? Why? Why are they? Why are they? Because well, it's about it's about termination. It's right? about reproductive rights. I knew exactly. I knew I knew the fetus yeah. thing. I was like, but how can this word? It's the what you call bait. It's a fetus. Okay. Yeah, but what? that's the thing. Those who who want to restrict exactly. reproductive rights to right don't want you to say fetus. They right. want you to say unborn baby, unborn child. They right. don't want the term fetus even out there. Right. It's something other than an right. unborn person. Right. right. And so they don't want us using fetus. They don't want us even. I mean, like a lot of these words, conceptualizing 
that topic in that way. Right. Um, and along with diversity, right? <laughs> Another idiotic word on this yeah. list. You know what I mean? Diversity. You know? It's, yeah. So language, you know, this is an important thing, I think, for America to think about. Also because, I mean, we're professors, we teach... We teach students, but it's also about language and how language sort of uh, shapes the culture and the world that we're in, right? You know what I mean? So banning words really, are even not banning them, but suggesting that these yeah. words... Whatever's are, going on here. Banning, what, what, self-censoring. Whatever weird shit they're you know, cooking up over there. Anyway, but the point is, is, you know, this sort of shapes how America and how people see things, right? So I think language, you know, in class we're always talking about how does language affect us? How do we how do we take on identities? How do we all these sorts of things? And these they've kind of got the idea. It's a pretty um, not just suggestive list, but smart and a devious sort yeah, of way. They get right? it. It's it's weird that this this administration, this Congress, they really get was called epistemic rhetoric. Ooh, so, ooh you like that? Epi- like epistemic it. rhetoric. You like just, it. It feels uh, juicy. It is. It okay, is. Epistemic, so, epistemic, epistemic rhetoric. I'm not an expert on this, but basically epistemic epistemic. rhetoric is, it's the idea that the language we use forms the reality that we experience, uh. right? If we can't say certain things, if we see, think certain things are bad, like entitlement, for instance, right. then we, Do I see it we view see it? Oh. entitlements, we view diversity, oh. we view okay. the topics related to those words differently. So that means if we don't have the word diversity, we can just look at a room full of dif- different ethnic people and just say they're, I don't know, what, <laughs> are, they, are, they just, are they just different ethnic peoples? Well, exactly, you don't have a word for it, so if, if we can't use diversity, then we can't say we should observe diversity, we should right. celebrate diversity, right. Right. it's a good thing. It's harder to talk about that topic and to right. praise that topic, to praise, you know, if many people right. at the table right. if we lack right. that word. And diversity is something that's been criticized from both the left and the right, yeah. so it's an interesting word in itself. But So Omarosa says this thing that I think is totally crazy. She has this little uh, phrase that she said before on, in interviews and on television. She said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Right, and so I like thinking, I, I know, right? I like thinking about that when in terms of language and diversity. That was the thing I was saying is about, you know, diversity, if you're not at the table, right, then you're on the menu, then you're to be struck down, I, right? Yeah. That phrase. I love that you are using this person uh, in to a say way, something the sort of, of yeah, I know, yeah, I know. You're flipping it. You're, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I didn't think about yeah, that. But anyway, that brings me to the Omarosa. You wanted to talk about her. I did a little, I don't know how much of her I really want to do. it. Well, anyway, apparently this, uh, recently she got fired or what, she claimed she resigned. There's a lot of drama about what actually happened. There's been a, there's been an on, tel- on TV interview, right? She's done sort of a morning show and talked about, uh, you know, presented her case. She's very, she's very well spoken. One thing about you know her is, no matter what happened, whether she actually got fired or she, or she actually resigned properly. Um, what were you gonna say? Well, nobody gets fired in, in D.C., right? Nobody ever gets fired in D.C. They fuck up and then they're like, uh, I'm resigning, right? right but what, exactly. resigning in D.C. means that their boss has right. asked them, you need to do this or we're, you're leaving one or the other. Right. Do you want to resign? You want us to fire you? Right. So no one ever is fired in D.C. But Everyone she, resigned. But she did leave. She, she did, resigned. She, and and she, there's, there's drama between her and the secretary, the, the uh, chief of staff, is that right? Yeah, there's a, but also drama apparently between her and, I don't want to say the name, the, the T word, right? They, they say that the reason why it all <laughs> happened, right, is because she was looking for a, a bigger position. That really oh. is at the, at the core of why she, but you know what? Black Twitter feels like we don't care about Omarosa anyway. It's been yeah. all over Twitter. You yeah. know what I mean? She's a regular Stacey Dash. Yeah, well, you know, Stacey Dash is <laughs> even less relevant. I feel like. 
if that's possible. That you, but Omarosa, yes, yeah, she's not of the community. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't, we don't look to her for any sort of uh, upliftment. We don't care that she's in the White House, even though she is the only Black female. I think, I, I believe she's the only Black female who was in the inner circle. Probably. Oh, really? That's oh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so this actually besides Ben Carson, I don't. Oh, he's not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this actually brings my question. So. I don't know this, but it's also, I, I follow politics really well, but this is really interesting. Mm. Who is she? Like, before she was brought on to the Trump administration. A TV personality. She was, she was on The Apprentice? Is yeah, that right? Right. Did she it's, do something before that? Is she a celebrity? Is I, don't she, think, I don't think so. I think is she, she was, famous for something other than being famous? No, I don't think so. Okay, I mean, okay. it's the Kim Kardashian, right? Okay, you, can be yeah. famous, you can be famous just for being famous. Yeah, that's how Instagram works. Yeah. Living in Instagram, yeah. I mean, that was, that was who Donald Trump was before he was president. <laughs> It's can we, can we say? Yeah. I don't know if we can say. I mean, you know, people are famous. You can be famous for just being famous. Yeah. I, I'm not, but uh, people can be. Yeah, we sound like haters, but we we're, do. We're not. We I are. Mean, we we are. kinda are. We are. We're, I mean, we're writers. We're never gonna. We're never gonna have that kind of notoriety, and we don't need to. Okay, so Amorosa is is right, famous for being famous. Has no political experience. Does, uh, does she have? Do you know? She's run some businesses. I okay. Think she's, yeah. You know, she's that's done some it. official official corporate stuff. Yeah. But nothing political. And now... You don't, and need, you don't need a political background to work in the White House. You no. Know. You need a business background and, yeah. and contribute money. Right? Yeah. That's how politics work. Right. You give money, you get a position. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, no background, came into the inner circle, right. is leaving the inner circle. Right. Very very swiftly. This is one year... I mean, this is only one year out. You know what I mean? She's quit... She's officially leaving, I think, January 20th. So I think mm -hmm. it's she's only been there a year. And I mean, I guess it is kind of sad the only black female is leaving the White House, but... Uh, you know, what can we do? We don't care. We don't care. Yeah. We, I, I feel like no one... No one cares. No one cares. Yeah. No one at all. So what difference does it make? You know what I mean? I mean, even though this is a hot topic and, uh, you know, she's just going to write a book. She's just going to go and do a reality show, which is not... I mean, that's, I think that's kind of what she does anyway, so I don't think that's a bad thing, you know what I mean? If I worked in the White House and got fired or resigned, uh, quote-unquote, I would write a book. Yeah. I'm waiting for the first book. I'm looking forward to Sean Spicer, you know, first, first, uh, you know, book. It... You would read Sean Spicer's book? Yeah! You really? Sure! I would, I mean, I, mean, I would, if it was like a tell-all, like, right, a, that's what I'm talking like about. an expose on the of inside, course, yeah. Of course, that's what it's going to be. I hope so. Because he's salty. I don't, I don't know, I think a lot of, of, both actual politicians, but also the people who support them, support staff, it's always sort of this, like, oh, inflated, man. rhetorical, like patriotic, serve my country, mm. sort of thing. And so rarely is it Or like, what happened? Uh, oh, yeah, what happened, right? Like, what happened? What happened? What, what, did, ha I, what did I do? <laughs> what happened is interesting, and there are people who want to read it. Have you read it? No, I'm, I, Any of it. I saw her, she was on, um... Heard her on NPR. She's on all over NPR and yeah, talk shows and lately. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to read it. I, I mean, I guess there are people who want to read it, but, like... If I thought it'd be a real inside the campaign, yeah, right. inside Hillary Clinton, right. an honest sort of like look at it, I right. would read it. But like, um, everyone, elected officials and their staff always write these books that are just like, wah, wah. it's a rhetorical device. It's meant to convince us of something. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I think the exception to that is, did you ever read, did you read the March trilogy? No. Exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a graphic novel from Congressman John Lewis, who's the oh, civil rights figure, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, of course I know John Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Graphic, he did a graphic novel. Him and his comm secretary, may, and, and an illustrator, wow. this beautiful graphic novel about it was about Selma, but also the greater civil rights movement. Huh. Um, and it's beautiful. Do you own that? I do. You I should yeah, borrow it. Absolutely, absolutely. That sounds it's, great. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And 
it's it, I mean, I'm sure there's sort of like a rhetorical effect in there. They talk, you know, like they frame the conversation about like yeah. Stokely Carmichael in yeah, a certain yeah, way, yeah, yeah. Um, and how it related to this like. It's a good rhetorical device, though. It, right, it's, right. It's both history and interesting and honest. And yeah. sure, there's a rhetorical element to it, but yeah. it's not primarily to convince us. It's of, like Cornell like, West rap album. No. I mean, this is going to a place that maybe we should. Maybe, yeah. maybe we should. But anyway, books, books, political books that come out yeah. can be. Um, I, I'm interested if, if it's going to be a tell-all. Like I'm saying, Sean Spicer, I'm interested because it could be a tell-all, and I think Omarosa will probably write something that will be uh, fantastically explosive. I think about the White House. I don't think she's gonna. I think she's for the drama, friend. It's tough. You know, I wonder how much. It's something you see a lot in business, and you don't really think of. In, um, in in politics, but right. I wonder how many of these people are signing like lengthy non-disclosure agreements to say I you too. can't talk about right. this administration. You right. can't talk about what it's like right. here. You have to get a good lawyer. Yeah. That's that's important. Yeah, both for writers and for politicians. I think yeah. I advocate for good lawyers. We didn't want this pop section to be political. <laughs> this is how we're starting out episode. This is one. what's happened. We went down the rabbit hole and we just kept chasing it. Yeah, know. we'll talk about I don't Does know Spotify or something next time. Is it, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we, <laughs> I said rabbit hole. I don't. Know. <laughs> but anyway, I don't. Yes, we will. We will engage in both uh, political issues and also pop culture. So we we just have, we're getting loose. You know, we're filling it out. Yeah. All right. So Go that on. was that was the pop portion. We're about to move into bang and invite our guests back in. All right, now we're going to move into the bang portion of the podcast. And, and now, welcome back, Hannah and Muhammad. Yeah, we're back with Hannah and Muhammad. For the bang portion, each month we're going to do something a little different, some sort of dessert, some wild card to leave you with. Some surprise. Yeah, and since we're here at, depending on when you're listening to this, the very end or the very start of the year, we thought we'd talk about 2018. So I was going to ask each of you, what public person, that's a celebrity or politician or whatever, what public person are you hoping to see a whole lot less of in 2018? Well, I'm not to start us off. <clears throat> I mean, I think for me, I want to see a whole lot less of Wendy Williams. <laughs> um, I don't think she benefits anything, um, anywhere, or anyone. Um, Dang. This is a wholehearted dislike. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with yeah, you. like, she just... Just all the way around. Yeah, just all the way around. Get rid like of Wendy Williams. Put her in some rice or something. Ooh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wendy, we're, we, if you listen to this, we do not do not claim this comment. We're just we're just here representing the podcast. I'm with Mohammed on this. Cece, why don't you guys <laughs> next? Who you You're also see less of? Um, my less of is LeVar Ball. I was gonna I changed it what? at the very at the very last minute. LeVar, I just want him to let his son like play ball and and sort of stop. He's always commenting on things. He's he's a very rambunctious. I feel like I'm sure he's a great father, right? I believe that. I believe he's a great father to his boys. I believe he's part of the reason why they're so successful. However, my, I don't need to see him on TV every other day because he's not the celebrity your children are. So that's that's the way I feel about it. I just I don't hate him. I just I'm just getting a little grating my nerves like a cheese grater with the small little holes, right? You know what I mean? That's just the way I feel about Levar Ball. <laughs> Hannah. Uh, I want to see a lot less of Chris Brown. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, see. Say what you said earlier about his relevance. Oh, I don't think, okay, so I might see less of him in 2018 because I don't think he's that relevant anymore. Right, you um, might. Right, snap for that. Honestly, like, he dropped 
like a 48 song album mm -hmm. and I don't I can't name one of them but I would like to see a lot less of him in 2018 if that's okay. even possible yeah it is and mine actually sounds like it's an addition to Hannah's because I was just gonna say and maybe this is cheating but I was just gonna say generally uh, celebrity men who uh, treat women shitty. Generally. Oh, Honestly, yeah. I, I like that. Chris That's Brown, great. R. Kelly, and like yeah. I feel like the list just goes on and on and on. I, I said Chris Brown because he just, I'm yeah. not, mm -mm. but the, the list really the goes on. The community loves R. Kelly, though. Yeah. R. Kelly, R. Kelly will never die. The community, no. for some strange reason, loves him. Yeah, it's strange, but if 2017, <laughs> if 2017 was the year of reckoning, I hope 2018 is the year where mm. we're celebrating the men who have good, positive, feminist views and womanist views of the world, and we're ignoring yeah. and dismissing and diminishing these shitty producers, actors, politicians. Can we put Bieber in there? Even uh, though he doesn't treat women bad, can we just put him on the list too? See, yeah. I feel like he's Chris Brown a little bit. I don't know how relevant that is. <laughs> I, think I, think I, think, I think they're also homies. Though. I think they are friendly. I think they, 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 they party yeah. together. Which Birds is of a feather. Do flock together, <laughs> I agree. Alright, well here's 2018. Let's hope the whole lot better. So that's it. That's our show. Thanks for tuning into episode one. As always, you can check the show notes for links to information about our guests and about the things we've mentioned. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. And from Charm City, this is Lit Pop Bang. <laughs>